Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, today we will be recording two podcasts. This one will be going out right away, and then the next one will be our division preview that you hear in a couple days, probably on the Monday, I would assume. Um, so this one, we've decided there were so many RFA signings since we published our last article, or, or recorded our last podcast, I should say. But we figured we should do a one for just all the RFA signings that have happened. So we're going to do that, and I figured why not start with the biggest one. Uh, we have Mitch Marner. Uh, we'll go with that. I think this will probably be the longest talking one because there's a lot to discuss about this. Uh, so after a lot of discussion, a lot of rumors out there, Mitch Marner signed six years for a $10.893 million cap hit. Chase, what are your thoughts on this deal? The Leafs are a... Go away, Larry. The Leafs are a better team with Mitch Marner than without him, but I think it's fair to say Kyle Dubas pretty clearly lost this negotiation. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Um, sorry, I'm trying to deal with Chase's cat jumping on our mic right now. Um, yeah, I would th- I would say that's fair. I think that um, this is definitely an overpayment given anything you want to look at in terms of comparables. Um, I, there's nothing to suggest he should have made this much on a six-year deal. Maybe not even on an eight-year deal. Um, I think that Leafs fans are going to be happy that he is back in the lineup, but at the same time, yeah, this is this is a bad negotiation by Kyle Dubas. Yeah, it kind of sucks because like Mitch Marner will most likely provide more on-ice value than his contract implies. Still, like I think Dom had him as like a seventy-six percent chance at a positive value, but it just sucks that everybody else has managed to get a deal on their RFAs because they don't have as much leverage, and the Leafs basically just paid market price for Marner. Yeah, well, you always hear the whole the market shifting thing, and the market really hasn't shifted. I mean, we'll get in some other RFA contracts next, but. This broke and some others leaked and they were a bunch of bridge deals at a very reasonable price. And I just, yeah, like the the the, prob- the biggest problem I have is that the Leafs never really seemed to even try to play hardball with Marner. From the very Not beginning, it was like Marner wanted 11 and the Leafs were like, eh, I don't know. And then like even a week ago or like a couple days before the contract got signed, a report came out saying... Oh yeah, the Leafs know they're probably not going to get fair value, and they're just accepting that. It's like you can't just accept that. There's, I, I have a theory that I'm going to run by you. So there's a book called Never Split the Difference, and ironically enough, it's actually on like a book, a list of books Kyle Dubas recommends people to read. From Mike Colligan produces these lists, and in this book, it's about it's like an FBI negotiator talking about or a former FBI hostage negotiator talking about negotiations. And one of the tactics he talks about is the extreme anger. And his theory is if you go into a negotiation unprepared and the other party hits you with an extreme anchor, i.e. Marner asking for $11 million immediately, if you're unprepared, you will immediately jump to your max. And that feels like exactly what happened here. Yeah, I, it, I would agree with that. Like, it, it just... I don't know if they were unprepared for the... I feel like they couldn't have been unprepared for what he was going to ask, though. It felt normal. Like, we've known for over a year he was going to want exactly what Matthews wanted. So, like, I don't know if... I, I, and I, all credit to Marner's agent. Um, oh, yeah. People are ripping on Ferris. Ferris? He did what he had to do yeah. to get his... Like, this is... He's laughing all the way to the bank. It's a groundbreaking breaking contract for Mitch, like a guy, a player like Mitch Marner. And don't get me wrong. Like, I hate when I say that Marner... When you have to say Marner's probably a little overrated by the general public and this contract is definitely overpriced, that doesn't mean he's a bad player. He's a very good winger. No, he should be like a top 15 player in the league over the next 
six years, like the length of this contract, but yeah, it, that doesn't mean it's a good thing to pay him way more than what other teams are paying players of a similar quality. Yeah, and so I think where I'm at with it is I think Dubas is still a very good GM, but I think, you know, no one's going to be perfect. Everyone's going to struggle somewhere, and I think it's fair to say that Kyle Dubas struggles at big RFA negotiations. I personally haven't liked all three of the way he he handled the three, the big three, if you will. I think Nylander, you got to a price that uh, it took you five months extra that it probably should have, and even that was probably an overpay for how long you waited. I do think the Neil- the conversation about the Nylander contract would be a lot different if his PDO was better last year. I don't think it, because when he signed the contract, we were like, this is not a good deal for how long you waited. Like, it's still a great... The the contract itself, especially given what the other two signed for, is amazing. That is going to be one of, if not the best contracts in the league. Yeah, it should be a good value contract. So, like, it's not like... And, like, I think the Nylander one, it's not like he did bad on it. It's just considering he... Like, Nylander waited out for four months, and it clearly affected him to start the year. That is a big problem with... I Like, I think you can say that's not great negotiating. Yeah, like, it wasn't ideal, but I don't it, really think it was... I just don't think it was handled great at all. I think it could have been handled much better, and I think... Like, I don't think it should be in the same bucket as the Marner It's No, it's not, but it's not good either. Like, Uh, I I don't... fine. I don't think the way he handled it was good at all. Fair enough. Like, I don't know. I don't think it was that bad. I think if he got shooting luck last year, everyone would have been perfectly fine with it. Because one of the big arguments with Nylander is about how... Sure, they signed him in December, but it's not even like they got a full year out of him because everyone willing to or everyone thinks that he was not that good last year meanwhile he was actually fantastic the puck just didn't go in the net right yeah it's not even about getting a full year out of him though it's just the fact that you waited until september or or till december sorry like yeah i guess that's my issue with that contract and again at the time it was like okay this is still probably an overpayment considering like so what if i remember this correctly the Leafs weren't offering anything above, like, 6.2 until, like, the last week. And they're like, okay, okay, maybe we should move it up to 6.5 or 6.9. Yeah, where the number should have... Yeah, like that, where it should have been all along. Whereas if you in camp would have just went in and said, okay, we'll give you 6.7 in September, and you have Nylander for a full year, maybe it, may, maybe it doesn't make a difference. Maybe he doesn't have shooting luck still the whole year. Maybe it does. Maybe he scores... I don't know, how many goals do you want to say he scored? How many assists do you think he adds in a full year? Maybe you get home ice advantage against Boston. Like, like I, I get that possible, doesn't... But, like, I, I don't get, think William Nylander not pay, playing or signing till December 1st made his PDO bad last year. I don't... I, like, not for the whole year, obviously. By eight, Like, by April and March, I think it was very obvious that he was, a like, playing very well. He just didn't have any shooting luck. But, yeah, like, his net impact last year. Look at his uh, RAPM chart compared to Sidney Crosby's from 17-18. And they're alarmingly similar because shitty years like that happen to everyone. Yeah. Even Sidney Crosby. I think that Nylander at the beginning of the year clearly needed some time to get ready. Yeah. That and I mean, expected. that's expected when you sit out all of training camp in what, three months of the season. But, or, or, yeah, three. Yeah, because it's December 1st. But yeah, I don't. My problem was that the negotiation wasn't handled well because they tried to play hardball and then they kind of. They probably. There's a difference between playing hardball, where I think they should have done it with Marner this year, where it's like, no, we can't give you an overpayment by $2 million. And there's a difference between playing hardball, where it's like, no, we can't give you a fair contract based on market value. Because, like, Nylander's comparable was David Pasternak, and you could argue that he should have made a little less than Pasternak. But when, when you adjust for the cap inflation, it's about the same. Yeah. So, like, I just don't understand why they didn't go until $7 million. Like, 
why they waited so long to get to almost 7 million when that was the number everyone knew they were going to agree around anyways. Yeah, like, okay, it could have been handled better, but, like, yes. I feel like if William Nylander just had Locke last year on his side, it wouldn't even be mentioned, really. Maybe not, but I just don't think it was great. And then you look at Matthews, I'll hear the argument you shouldn't piss off your franchise centerman. At the same time, that cap hit should have been on a seven- or eight-year deal, not a five-year deal that walks him immediately to free agency. Ideally, yeah. I think they should have got at least a little more of a discount for that. I don't... I'll try... I'll give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because, again, I don't think you can piss off your franchise centerman. Um, But, uh, like, I just... Again, I don't... It seems that... I say that, but then it seems like this is the only team that that kind of happens to, right? Like, I guess you could argue Buffalo as well did the same thing with Eichel. That's... The Eichel contract, if you look... Compare their stats, is a way more terribly done contract yeah. than any of I mean, I think they were really betting on Eichel to improve when they did that contract, and he yeah. just hasn't quite grown to what you would want him to, and that was the issue with that. So, yeah, like Marner outproduced yeah. Eichel on their ELCs. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't lo- love the how that was handled, but at least I'll give the benefit of the doubt because it is your franchise centerman. But the Marner, there's no excuse for this Marner contract. It's no, it's rough. $2 million overpayment for the term that you got. Um, and it, it was just poor negotiation all the way. Like, I mean, yeah, they got blindsided by, uh, Darren Drager openly just being a mouthpiece for the, the meet, uh, for, uh, Mitch Marner's agent, but, and oh my, I don't know if you saw this. So there was rumors that, uh, Nick Merkley was going to go to, uh, LaSalle, the, the core, what is their team? The, oh, the junior B team. That, like uh, in Caledon or where? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, oh, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't LaSalle. It was Caledon, wasn't it? The Corvairs, I believe it was. And, um, the, the OHL insider guy was tweeting it out and he ended up tweeting screenshots that like Kaladin's media team literally told him like over Twitter. It was like, yeah, we're signing him. We've already signed him. He's going to be in practice tomorrow. And then they're like big announcement coming up. And then they announced two other player signings. And Darren Drager was like, uh, Nick Merkley's agent says this isn't true. And then he had the guts to go, why don't you attach a name to this account? I was like, how can you tell a different account to attach a name to it when for months, you've been an unnamed source in the lease organization is telling me Marner should get $11 million. It's like, oh my word. He even like went on the radio and basically pled at one point. Yeah. Like it, it was bordering on sad. Yeah, he was like, what does Marner have to do to prove that he's an $11 million player? He's led the team in points. He's done it all. It's like, dude, like just tell everyone that you want this guy to get paid because you're getting paid for it. But like, yeah, I don't know. That was just a, a bit of a side uh, tan, uh, rant there. But... Yeah, I just don't think this Marner negotiation was well done. I also think that the switch from Lee's Twitter immediately from, wow, this is a bad contract, to, oh, you're making fun of us because we're paying our good players? Wow, what a bad situation, was quite the switch in literally 24 hours. Um, I kind of understand that, yes, it's better to pay your RFAs than some 28-year-old UFA, but at the same time, the people saying, oh, yeah, no, this Marner deal's not actually that bad. We had to pay him. But also, people were saying trade Marner literally 48 hours prior, so. Yeah, well, like, two things can be true. Like, this can be a terrible RFA contract relative to his comparables, Mm -hmm. and the Leafs can still be, what, like, the second most likely team to win a cup in the next Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm a Leafs fan, the thing I'm encouraged by still is that Kyle Dubas has found ways to get young, cheap, or not exactly. even young, but cheap talent to fill at the bottom of the roster. Exactly. Their forwards are so top-heavy that they need to be smart with the bottom of their roster. What's 
the thing that analytics preach the most, the extra 2% coming out of the the bottom of your roster. That's exactly what Kyle Dubas is going to need to do now, and it should be exactly what he's equipped to do better than most, if not all, the GMs in the league. Yeah, I think the the concerning thing for me would be the defensive structure. We kind of went over that in our division preview, but I mean, even just looking at their defense next year, they have one guy signed past next year, and that's Jake, uh, not Jake Gardner, Morgan Riley, which is a good guy to have signed. But then Muzzin's up, Barry's up, CC. You would hope they let walk, but you never know. Uh, Dermot's up. Uh, who else is up? I think that's the big names, right? Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Like Marinson, Hall, and too. Schmaltz are all up that are on their NHL roster right now. But you know, like their entire top four, other than Riley, is up. So they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do in terms of re-signing guys. Dermot, you will get a contract extension. You know that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they find one of Muzzin or Barry to stay, depending on the price tag. I would assume Muzzin would be the more likely. Maybe I think CC. Yeah, I mean maybe. <laughs> uh, I feel like Dubis won't. Uh, tolerate another year of CC though. I hope not. Let alone multiple, but you never know. Uh, I would say out of Muzzin and Barry, Muzzin is going to be the cheaper one, so that leads me to believe that he would probably be more likely to stay. Yeah, it would probably be whichever one you can get cheaper. Yeah, and I mean, Barry's already asking for $8 million. I th- I feel like his points are going to light up this year on this team. I was thinking, my, that was my first thought too, but he's going from, I believe, the top unit power play in Colorado to William Nylander and friends playing the second unit power play in Tampa, Toronto. I guess so, but I also think there's something to be said about always being on the ice with someone who can score in Toronto. Yeah, he's going to play the 5v5 points team. are going to go a lot up, uh, up as well. Maybe it won't be as no, enough to counteract it, but even if you stay, I don't know, relatively similar with a bunch of power play two points and then also more 5v5 points... I feel like if you have, I don't even know how many points he got last season. I just know it was a bunch. Check. I think it was like 50-something. That, that sounds right. But if you have, say, back-to-back. Yeah, 59. Yeah, so if you have back-to-back 55-point seasons or even a 50-point season, you're going to be demanding at least $8 million. Yeah, he should be expensive if yeah. all goes well. And if he's not expensive, then that means he was terrible and it doesn't matter anyways. Exactly. So, um yeah, I don't know. That's a lot on the Leafs. Uh, I think we have we have about four other RFA, RFA signings. I don't want this uh, episode to go too much longer than 35 minutes because we do have a division preview to get in yet today. Um, let's switch to a team that they lost to in the playoffs, Boston. They got two guys done. Uh, they got These guys kind of fell quickly after the minor deal, I believe, or was McAvoy before? McAvoy might have been before. I think McAvoy was first. Uh, I remember the McAvoy. No, Marner was, Marner was after. He was... McAvoy was, or Miner was before. McAvoy was two days after. He oh. was the Sunday. Say, uh, so McAvoy signed uh, three years, $4.9 million cap hit. A bridge deal, a very good bridge deal. Um, I think it makes sense for both, uh, at least for Boston. I think it makes enough sense for McAvoy. You know, he everything pointed to he loves Boston. He wants to keep cont- competing for a cup. And this is kind of what you have to do to buy in to do it. I mean, he was one of those weird RFAs. He was like he was the class ten point five two. Yeah, he yeah. couldn't be offered. She did so that kind of influences the price a little bit too. But I think just overall, like doing the three year deal, especially for Boston. I mean, it's no secret that this core is reaching the end soon, sooner yeah. rather than later on a cup cup runs. Um, Bergeron, Marchand, and Krejci are all still very very good hockey players, but. You know, it could be any year where a freak injury happens and it just totally derails them. Or even just natural aging brings them from, like, the for Bergeron's sake, a top five center to even the 30th best center. And then you need to find other people to replace that. So Yeah, like, the age curve should be coming for Bergeron, Krejci, and Marchand soon enough. You would think. Um, you know, for players, of especially like Bergeron's caliber, I mean, it might not happen the way... 
Oh yeah, I you wouldn't be shocked if Bergeron was in that Datsuk tier where he's still like a play driving god at yeah. thirty seven. But, but like, the, again, like you need to at least expect that they're not going to stay at this rate for the next three years. You should so be prepared for that. Yeah, and so uh, I think it makes enough sense for McAvoy. Um, yeah, he's got a three year shot at a cup. Yep, and then you're gonna he's gonna get paid either by Boston or someone else like crazy afterwards. So yeah, um, for Brandon Carlo, I don't know. I think it's a fair deal. I think Carlo's pretty overrated. Agreed. But he's still a fine defenseman. Two years at 2.85 is not going to hurt you at all. Yeah. I you think, can do worse, I guess. I think for a, your fourth defenseman, that's a fine thing to pay. Um, yeah, he... McAvoy's definitely the bigger one out of those two. Uh, having $4.9 million as your probably number one defenseman, I would I would call him. Like, I think he's better. He's at least similar to Chara. Oh, he's, I'd say he's better than Chara. It'd be Krug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I get no. I'd probably put Krug actually. Yeah. Whoever you like. But, more, but. as your second best defenseman, four point nine is a pretty damn good deal for three years. So yeah, like McAvoy's what a top two at worst defenseman. Yeah, like I would say he's probably in that range where it's like he's right around the thirty area. Yeah. So it's like he's a fringe number one, but at worst he's a really good number two guy. Yeah, like he's not carrying your top pair, but like he can play very, very effectively on it, sort of thing. Yeah, that's where I would kind of have him. Um, yeah, no, Boston seems to be in a pretty good position again this year to, you know, Sadly. <laughs> say make it, make another run for it. It'll depend what they do on the deadline, I think. To or you know how the rookie or how their some of their younger guys uh, progress to shore up the depth a little bit, but uh, yeah, this team I think if you're a Boston fan, I mean when when you're a Boston fan, it's uh, championship or bust with the Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins. But <laughs> yeah, um, it's yeah, it's a good time to be a Boston fan, just like it has been the past decade and a half or two decades. So yeah, and the nice thing about McAvoy is, I think he's the best out of all of the three RFA defensemen. And he signed the cheapest deal. Out of... Provorov, him, and Wierenski. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I thought you meant Shabbat. I was like, oh, ah, no. I would probably put Shabbat. I didn't have Shabbat in that class because he's still under contract yeah, next year. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. And, yeah, I, I think it's... Yeah, that's definitely fair. And, yeah, he signed a little cheaper than Wierenski and a lot cheaper than Provorov, but also less term. So it makes enough sense. Yeah, um, but he's still in our fate. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that, that's the big thing, too, right? This contract's done. He's... He'll have uh, arbitration rights, but I feel like you won't need it. But he is still an RFA, so if you want to do, say, somehow Boston's still in a window or something like that, you could do another small-term deal with him where it's not very expensive. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, do you want to get to Thomas Shabbat, then? Let's do it. So, Ottawa locks down Shabbat for eight years. This is the... F- I don't know if they've done an eight-year contract. Like, I'm trying to think of the last eight-year contract they made. I cannot think of one because carlson signed six off eight? of his spezza might have been eight because he had a really long-term deal they traded him and there was still like a decent spezza might have been the last eight year deal that they did but like it's been a long time and it's it's so as a sense fan it's, it's encouraging to see because uh this locks chabot in until i believe he's 31 because the contract doesn't kick in for another year yeah. so you're buying up his entire prime and then some at 8x8, eight eight, I really like this deal. I think it's a very, very smart bet. Uh, I think Shabbat is already one of the league's better defenders. Um, he needs to actually work on his defensive game, but if he does that, he will be in like the Norris conversation for years to come. Yeah, like if he gets his defensive game to average, he could be a perennial Norris like in the conversation the entire duration of this contract. Yeah, and I think that you know, right now, $8 million, 
you can make the argument if it's a little bit of an overpay, but I think within a year or two, if he takes another step forward, especially in his own end, it's going to be easily a, a value contract. Yeah, for sure. Especially since it, he should have one more year of growth before it kicks in. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's a very good point. It doesn't even kick in this year. Um, so yeah, I really like the bet that they made. I, I think that it's encouraging for fans to actually see now Colin White for six years and Thomas Shabbat for eight. Yeah, it seemed like a bit of a statement too, where it's like, we can keep good players. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's it's not the thing where it's like, okay, we sign these guys to five-year bridge deals and then we're just going to trade them when this comes up because we don't want to repay them like the last crop of uh, RFAs were. Whereas it's now, it's like, this guy's here with us until he's 30. Like We have Thomas Shabbat's prime. Exactly. Yeah. So if we're not doing something with that, I mean, there's a bigger problem than we can't keep our players. Yeah. And I mean... They you know, very well might not do anything with it. But. Yeah, who knows? I mean, in six years, this who knows what the league's going to look like, but... At the very least, I think it is a good encouragement, especially because news broke a couple days ago that Eugene Melnick is now trying to sue to get his private jet back <laughs> because he lost it over a debt that he didn't pay the airline or something like that. I was like, geez, the news just doesn't stop out of Ottawa. But some very encouraging news, and I think this was, generally speaking, one of the wi- most widely regarded contracts where everyone was kind of like, yeah, this is a pretty smart deal. There was a few people who pushed back on it. There's always going to be but, some people on the other side of the fence. I mean, I just, I don't know. My point would be is he's a 20-year, not 20, he was 21-year-old defenseman. Yeah, he wasn't great in his own end. That's fair. He definitely needs to improve that. I think anyone will admit that. But he was so elite in the offensive end. And, I, you know, someone said he didn't drive play. That's an absurd statement. Uh, he was the only Senators defenseman above 50% expected goals. He was... I don't know what his rel number was. I believe he was 4% above average. His relative numbers were nuts. Yeah, he was 4% average above the Sens defense core and Corsi 4 as well. Yeah. And um, his exit and entry zones uh, breakout rates are just off the charts. Um, to say he doesn't drive play, I think, is uh, not the greatest statement. He is one of those strange players who looks worse by uh, Magnus, the hockey viz model compared to the evolving wild. Yeah, I mean his his in front of them, because on the again in his defensive zone he needs to improve. Um yeah. and, and I think that's fair. Like, you know, if you go and look at Hockey Viz's uh heat map for him, it's just red in front of the net. And I mean that's what the whole Ottawa team was too, if you go and look at the entire Ottawa team. Yeah. So some of that is definitely like teammates as well, but at the same time some of a big part of that's him because he is playing a big part of the minutes. So that's something I was talking about someone with this online or to someone online about this last night, and that's something you'd like to see improve. Is that you'd like to see him be able to kind of box out the front of the net and cut down on so many high danger chances out front. And if he can do that, and sh- which will uh, effectively limit you know the goals that are scored right in front of the net and the expected goals, he's going to become one of the most dominant defensive, uh, one of the do- most dominant defensemen out there. Yeah, I think there's a very clear blueprint to how he yeah. is an elite defenseman in this league. And I, you know, I obviously have a little bit of bias here, but I don't think it's unreasonable to expect at least some growth in that area, too. I think that's a very growable thing to teach and develop into a player. It's not like raw skill where it's like by the time you hit 23, it's not like you're going to get any more skilled. It's it's like a, it's a positioning thing. Like, yeah, it's like a more awareness. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's something that you can teach, which at least gives me confidence. Yeah, now it might not happen. We see lots of guys it doesn't happen to, but I at least have faith that it can happen, which is uh, something I think Suns fans haven't really had in a long time is faith. And yeah, so I, I, I think it's a really reasonable deal. I think it's, I, I understand why Shabbat took it. I mean, it's $64 million guaranteed and 
Uh, oh, I understand why look, he took it. It'd it, be so hard to turn down being set for life when yeah, you're 22. And, and more in Canadian dollars, too, which is huge. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's no signing bonuses on it, which is uh, pretty insane, I thought. But, really? yeah, no, zero signing bonuses. Um, the salary goes 7-7. Seven, seven, it's lockout-proof, right? Lockout-proof 4, and then, like, or maybe there's another year before lockout, and then 10-10-10 or something like that. So, I don't know. I I don't know. If, do you have any more to say about it? I think it's a pretty reasonable deal for both sides. Yep. Um, I like the bet. It's encouraging for Sens fans, and I think Kachuk's the next guy to get going. Uh, we're already at 25 minutes. Let's run through the last two. There's one bigger one and one smaller one. Let's do the smaller one real quick. Travis Konechny signs a deal. Um, oh, I have to look this up real quick. It was, was it five years, four years? Believe. That's a good question. I don't remember. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I closed my signing sheet. Here it is. Uh, Travis Konechny. Travis Konechny. Where are you? Did we talk? No, we didn't talk about it. Uh, six years, $5.5 million. I think this is a fair deal. I think yeah. someone did an article that worked with Dom's uh, model, and it was, is this the most fair RFA deal in the history of the NHL? Oh, yeah. And it Dom's model literally is projected to just be 0% added value and 0% negative value. Now, what that means, if we're going to rip on Dubas for this, you should be getting positive value yes. out of your RFAs. Yeah, and I so that's why I like I don't know. I think it was I guess maybe is that Travis Konechny is such a hard player to uh, evaluate in my opinion. I mean, also that's not being from the market, obviously. But I mean, he's one of those guys where it's like I still kind of think of him as the young guy who could make take another step forward. But I mean, at the end of the day, he's already twenty two years old. I mean, the step forward better be coming in the next year or so. Yeah, he's shown that like. He's average-ish, or like slightly above average, with a good shot. Yeah, you would hope that he can add to that, but like, it's not the worst arsenal to have. No, not at all. And at I think like a five point five million dollar contract, even if this is all he is. Yeah, and I, I mean, and his penalty differential is fantastic. Yeah, I think that um, Philly's probably banking that he takes another step forward and becomes his own, you know, play driving kind of guy that can really drive a line going forward. But you know, I, I don't. Maybe. Maybe it happens. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be like a... You put Travis Konechny on a line and you're like, we're comfortable, we're winning. He, yeah, he's not going to be like a Mark like Stone that. type player. No, but like... At all. But, I mean, he's a very solid player and a, at a reasonable cap hit, I would say. I mean... Yeah, like he's probably a slightly above average play driver who can put the puck in the net. And that's a really, really good skill set to have just lying around. Yeah, so... um Sorry, Philly fans, that we're not talking about this a little more, but I think it's a reasonable deal. I think you should be happy with it. It's like the Ryan Dezingle deal, but better. Yeah. Basically. And young. Yeah, he's younger as well. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then last one, Brock Besser. He signed a bridge deal. Three years, 5.875. Again, kind of like it for most sides. I think that Vancouver... I mean, Vancouver... I sh- don't like it. Like, well, Vancouver had to do yes, it, but I don't like that they had yes, to Yes, I was just about to say that. I was like, Vancouver is right up against the cap, and that is a different problem that they got themselves yes. into. But in terms of the contract, I mean, you get a good player for three years. Besser, you get to bank on yourself scoring a bunch of more goals, playing along Elias Pettersson for three more years, and then you can cash it after that. So, um, I really, I think Besser's a solid player. Uh, I mean, he can put pucks in the net. forward. With, yeah, he can put comfortably. pucks in the net, which is one of the biggest skills you need in the NHL or people in the NHL are looking for. Um, again, for Vancouver, uh, we'll, we'll get into this when we do their division preview, but it's just like, 
I, this team has just been so mismanaged, even with the, like, they have a solid young core. I know. Ideally, like, four years ago, they hired Micah Blake McCurdy for $1 million a year. <laughs> he said no five times yeah. to, like, the Louis Erickson and, I don't know, you pick from the terrible contracts Tim, they have. Tim Shaw or Jay Beagle, like. <laughs> yeah, pick whichever ones you want. Tyler Myers now. Take those away, and then you have the money to sign Brock Besser long-term instead of this. But yeah, from the situation they were in, Brock Besser will provide more value than his contract implies. Yeah. Larry. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, that was Jason Gatton background. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I'm still going. I think that... Uh, the, the Canucks are going to be an interesting spot. They think they're a playoff contender now. I'm not sold, but I guess, I guess that's a playoff preview thing. Yeah. I guess we didn't really need to get to the Besser thing. We'll break it down a little more when we get there. So that's our RFA segment. Uh, it's just under 30 minutes. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you in a few days when our division preview goes up. Mm-hmm.